I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's tour catch-up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. King Carlos wins Indian Wells and reclaims the number one spot. Rebecca gets her AO revenge. And Radicanu draws Andrescu in a marquee Miami round one. Chris, today is the 21st of March and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ, specially backed by our crowd funders, Emily, Staracina and Ellie. The past week on tour, we've seen Carlos Alcaraz back to winning ways at Masters level, getting his third Masters 1000 title. Elena Rabakina getting her first Masters 1000 title and kind of demolishing Igor Sviantek en route. And Daniel Medvedev uh, making the final despite all of his moaning about uh, the court surface and his somewhat toxic relationship with the uh, the courts out in Indian Wells. So loads to catch up on uh, from Indian Wells and also loads to look forward to in Miami as we enter the second part of the Sunshine Double. Um, how are you doing, Chris? Are, are you well? I'm glad you've been able to join me because Joel is off for another week in a row, isn't he? So it's just me and he you. He is again. indeed. He's left us in control for a second week in a row. It must be the first time in history that's happened. But we must reassure listeners this is not due to his head injury. This is due to his birthday celebrations, where he's actually away. For the for the a long weekend, obviously it's now Tuesday, so a very long weekend, and he's now in Ramsgate, I believe. I think he's been enjoying um, enjoying some woo woos by the coast. Woo woos by the coast—that is how Joel does his birthday. Um, yeah, I don't Ramsgate, um, very glamorous seaside destination. Uh, unusual so choice, I would say, slightly <laughs> unusual, but I think um, he has his reasons. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure he does as well. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, Joel's less of a Hugo person, isn't he? He's more of a woo-woo. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to find Hugos in, in uh, Ramsgate, but... We'll I know have to he test him us... if he listened. Yeah, he sent us a Ask photo of some woo-woos. So um, we know he's getting some sort of uh, alcoholic beverage in for his birthday. Some but hydration. I think, yeah, and I'm going to take that to mean his head's better if he's he's on the, uh, the woo-woos. <laughs> yes. Happy birthday, Joel, we should say. We should, yeah, we should actually wish him happy birthday rather than lament his uh, the fact that he's Drinks not here. Choice. He's abandoning the podcast. <laughs> Two weeks on the drop. No, but no, he will be back for our next episode. Um, and Chris, last week on the tour, loads has happened, loads of tennis to talk about. But have you got a particular highlight from the last week that you'd like to share with, with myself? Joel and our listeners. I have indeed. Um, friend of the podcast, someone I spoke to earlier this year at the Davis Cup tie, Rohan Bopana, um, became the oldest man ever to win an ATP Masters 1000 title, um, which I thought was 
rather brilliant and he's been on a, a run of great form the record was previously held by someone he's actually won doubles titles with in the past um in daniel nestor who was actually 42 and this was in 2015 this record has stood um just a few days younger than the 43 year old papana so that was something that was very impressive he was playing with matthew ebden in that one um and they beat the top ranked duo so Unfortunately for British tennis fans, uh, that was Neil Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff. And um, that was a champion's tiebreak, 10-8 in the third. So very close to that history not being made. Um, but one thing I have to say, not just the result, but something I thought was, I didn't know this and I have to see if you do, but apparently the secret to success a little bit later on in your career is the Indian coffee that he's been having whilst he's been traveling. Apparently it's the biggest thing to help you recover. And he knows a lot about it because his family own um, a coffee plantation. Um, So I had no idea that was the case. And maybe we should all be having a bit more Indian tea in our our diet. Well, yeah, Indian tea and coffee. I had no idea he he owned a coffee plantation. Um, That must mean he just gets a lifetime supply of of coffee. Um, So no wonder he's... He's flying, he's isn't caffe- he? He's very caffeinated. It must <laughs> he's be. very caffeinated. The secret is have so much caffeine, especially just before that final set tiebreak. Yeah, well, they do say it's it's a good, obviously, thing to have prior to playing sport. So I guess there's, uh, yeah, there's some truth in this. Or you know, maybe he's just promoting his own coffee. Um, it's know. a good opportunity to get it, and I can see that. But either way, when you hit a record like that, he's up to eleventh in the ATP doubles ranking. So something to celebrate and why not get a few additional sales for your your coffee? (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe he could uh, come on the pod and and promote it. Uh, We could get some free samples. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we could easily do that. And then um, we could also maybe do a a separate session. We could do a tasting. Could be something very nice to do. That that does sound nice. Uh, I have to tear Joel away from his... uh, his woo-woos and, and tear me away from my <laughs> uh, my Hugos to go off to something uh, caffeinated <laughs> with the coffee. Um, yeah, my highlight of the week um, is a story that I just loved when I heard it. Um, you know, I like tennis and I like travelling. Um, and obviously with tennis, the world, there's quite a lot of travel involved. But one player in particular had a bit of a mad dash um, because Nuno Borges... Um, who won the Phoenix Challenger on Sunday um, out in Arizona. Um, he, he beat Alexander Shevchenko on Sunday in the final. He was due to play in the Miami Open qualifying on Monday. And um, he said that as soon as he knew he'd kind of got into the, the final of the Phoenix Challenger, he knew getting from A to B, Sunday to Monday, Phoenix to Miami was going to be a bit tricky. Um, the there's, there were no more direct flights, um, not many transport options. So he finished on court at about 7pm in Miami and he had to play, uh, sorry, 7pm in, in Phoenix um, and he had to be in Miami to play his next round match, 4.30pm the next afternoon. Um, so he went and to the airport straight away, got a flight, landed early in the morning uh, in Atlanta, local time. And then had, I think, get another connecting flight out to Miami. Bit of a delay due to a technical issue. I'm sure there was a lot of stress involved. But eventually he landed in Miami around 11am, managed to get to the hotel, actually get a quick nap in, then got a shuttle bus to the site from the hotel, came onto court, played Steve Johnson 
And the remarkable thing is he actually won in straight sets after all of that travel. I'm sure he wouldn't have got much sleep at all, what with um, getting two flights and waiting around, you know, hotels and airports. Um, But with just a nap, basically... And maybe some of Rohan Bapana's coffee, if he was able to find it. I mean, he could um, do with some, that's for sure. <laughs> he managed to um, win his qualifying match. And he is actually due to go on court for his, uh, well, his final qualifying match against Borna Gojo uh, today. I think they're going to be starting quite soon. So if he wins that, he'll be in the main draw of Miami. And I think that he will deserve much applause um, for his you know, efforts in actually Goodness. getting to Miami uh, but he's obviously in good form because you know um, having won that challenger uh, he's he is about 68 in the world so he's not a um, complete stranger but you know being able to get into the main draw of Miami will be a, a big feat for him yeah we wish him and luck. you really hope he does <laughs> because if you if you I think he's the number one seed in qualifying so I think it's one of those ones where you, you kind of hope that if you put together a great week they might give you a cheeky wild card if you don't manage to make it but Fingers crossed. Um, nothing against Gojo in that one, but 100% think that probably this is the story we want to hear, that he hasn't been handicapped by his success on the challenge at all. Yeah, because this is probably a reality for a lot of players. You know, try, They're trying to plan their schedule so that you don't know from one week to the next how well you're going to do in one particular tournament. And then you have to you know, potentially reschedule It's not all everything. glamorous, is it, Kim? No, it is not. Um, and Nuno, I'm sure, can, can tell us more about that. But... Um, <laughs> I remember some players, I think, when we have the grass court tennis, they, you know, I think, I want to say it was Ivan Dodig or someone had to play like two matches at two different tournaments on the same day, but it was sort of all in the UK, so they could kind of get from A to B within the space of a day. But there was some ridiculous um, instance. I'm sure one of our listeners remembers who it was and and when, but I'm sure it was on the grass. but yeah, that's that's reality of, of life on the tour. A um, bit different for the very top players. Um, and we'll get on to the very top players because we're going to discuss who won at the Indian Wells events last week. Um, let's talk about the WTA uh, result, first of all, because we had a final between Elena Rabakina and Arena Sabalenka, um, which ended up with Elena Rabakina winning... 7664 to get her very first WTA 1000 title. She's already a Grand Slam champion, of course. This is now her fourth career WTA singles title and her first title since she won her Grand Slam last year. Um, Chris, what did, what were your initial thoughts from off the back of this final? You know, it was straight sets to Rebecca, but a very, very close first set. And at the tie break in that first set, uh, it was thirteen eleven, so you know went on a long, a long while in that first set. It really did. Um, I was actually watching that one live in the tiebreak. I actually managed to tune in at six all, um, so I saw all. What would that be? Twenty four points. Another twenty four point tiebreak. A bit like um, what was it? Pagula Kvitova from from last week, but it wasn't pretty. I'd say um, it was a bit blustery out there. And unfortunately, the Sabalenka service um, ghosts were back out. The ghouls of the serve were back out because unfortunately did it 10 double faults. And some of those came at crucial moments in that first set. There was actually 10 in the first set and zero in the second set. So um, it really did have a big impact when you look at how close that score was and that probably she should have edged that. There were seven 
set point saved before someone took a set point. So you do think that whoever won that one probably would be the favourite to come through. Um, and I mean, she did play pretty well in the second set, um, Rebecca, but um, it was about getting the job done on the day. And I think that's um, something that I was very impressed with because uh, you might have a bit of scar tissue from that Australian Open final. Obviously, it was a rematch of the final and it was a different result then. And Rebecca did obviously kind of start the better in the Australian Open final as well. So she'd never got a win against her. It's her first in five attempts. Um, so I do think that it was pretty impressive to come through in that way against someone who you probably don't have a great matchup against. Yeah, and, and Sabalenka's ranked you know, number two in the world. So with this win, Rabakina has actually won her last four matches against um, the top two players in the world. So um, last year in, in at Wimbledon, she she beat on Jabor, who was number two in the world then. And she beat Iga Svontek this week to get through to the final to then win, who's, you know, of course, the world number one. And she beat her in, in the Australian Open as well. So she is getting the job done against, you know, the very, very high, higher echelons of, of the tour um, at the moment. Obviously missed out in the Australian Open final, as she said to Sabalenka, but managed to get a bit of revenge by claiming Indian Wells. I think also this, the second serve... Um, you know, she was winning a lot more points behind her second serve than, than Sabalenka was. So I think the serving, yeah, I think was probably the edge really in this match. But at least Sabalenka managed to iron out those double faults uh, in, in the second set, which is um, is a positive. You know, she said afterwards that there will be some days when old habits come back. <laughs> Referring to the old habits from last year of, of uh, her troubles on serve. But, you know, she was able to kind of, rectify it a bit within the match itself which is um which is a positive for her um so yeah Rebecca up up to I think number seven in the world now um so she's she's going wow. up and up and, and up. that's without Wimbledon points so I believe if they did count she'd be number three just mm. behind Sabalenka and Sviontek and playing like it they they are kind of playing as the, the top the three top players three. really aren't they based on this year's um form and and results um, I mean, yeah, other notable moments, I suppose, from from the week, uh, you know, was that Rebecca in a victory over Iga Svontek? 6-2, 6-2. Um, this is her second straight sets win over Iga Svontek. Is it just a really bad matchup for Svontek against Rebecca Or does Rebecca just think, right, I'm up against world number one. I'm going to absolutely, you know, I'm just going to bring my absolute A game and get this done. Like, what do you think is the the difference when they meet uh, at the moment on the on the court? Well, actually, I, I listened to her kind of speaking about um, why she thinks it's a good matchup. And I think she genuinely thinks when she plays against someone like that, there is no pressure. Um, and I think especially once you've got a kind of a, a, the, like a win against someone like that. I mean, she got a win in the off season against her in straight sets. I think she lost sort of full games there as well. She's got another relatively straightforward win in Australia and so I think it's just a case where when the pressure really is off um, she plays some of her best tennis uh, I think she goes out there without expectations she knows that she probably based on the form book um, isn't necessarily always expected to win that match I mean at the moment irrespective of what your head-to-head -head might be against Eager we've seen tennis of the highest level from Eager and she is a um, uh, world number one and she is the current holder of two Grand Slam titles. So I think it is a case that she just swings. She really does um, and knows that she has to play her best tennis. It's something Serena has always said that when you are number one or when you are someone who 
is kind of held in that esteem, you do have a target on your back. Everyone plays their best tennis against you or tries to every time that you play. And it's um, kind of you play against the most inspired uh, people at their most inspired. Um, and so I feel like for um, Rebecca, it is that exact situation that the higher ranked you are, the more dangerous she is to play against. She might very well be on the other end of that, you know, if her projection up the rankings continues. She's got to um, stay at number three, right? <laughs> Never above. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then she can continue to beat the top two players. <laughs> yeah, Just lose against everyone else, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, she did have a tough quarterfinal against Carolina Mukova and that could have potentially gone very differently because there was a set point um, in the first set between, um, yeah, Mukova and Rabakina. Mukova hit an overhead. Uh, she had set points and just completely I mean what were you thinking when you saw this this shot Chris because a bit of a disaster it it really was it was one of those shots where um, you just hope that they don't have Twitter accounts (laughs) because you really don't want to see that one back again because it was a bit sort of meme central in terms of um, things that sort of preceded unfortunate events um, in terms of that match and that being a key turning point I guess it just shows you know that no matter what the situation, what the score is, just how important it is to make sure that you you get those um, the points you should be winning and you don't kind of make too many unforced errors because had she won that, I mean, she did win the next set, 6-2 Mukova, um, and then obviously she went down in three sets, 6-4. So, I mean, it's a hard one to get over that one. But again, Rebecca is obviously playing some really great tennis and um, Mukova has actually gone through to the first round qualified for Miami. Um, with a loss of, I think, just six games. So she has not dwelled on that and she has got herself um, another couple of wins. And I think we both have her as potentially doing quite well in Miami, Kim. So um, although it was pretty pretty difficult viewing for that particular shot, um, I'm looking forward to some more good tennis from her this week. Yeah, she seems to still be in good form and I'm sure that one shot won't won't put her off too much. Um, She'll take a dry volley next time, maybe. What do you think? Yeah. Um, Sabalenka, you know, despite losing in the final, she had some good wins uh, throughout the week uh, against Zachary in the semis and uh, Coco Goff in the the quarterfinals. She sort of destroyed Coco Goff, really, for in love. Um, With Coco Goff, you know, had previously had a very good record against Sabalenka. I think she'd beaten her three out of their last four meetings but Sabalenka sort of turning that around just overpowering her um you know out hitting Coco Goff really um what what do you think went wrong for Coco Goff in in that match I don't know if you saw much of their quarterfinal but do you think it's just the forehand proving too much of a an issue especially against someone of you know Sabalenka's caliber in, in her current form yeah I think this was a case where there were no service issues I think um I saw that this was the the first time all season that Sabalenka has gone through a match without facing a single break point. So obviously the serve was working very nicely. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if she's seeing the ball like a football and she's really able to to get her eye in, she's very difficult, especially if she when she gets that sort of first set. She's a great front runner at times. So I think um the matchup itself, I've always been surprised that Sabalenka's had such a poor record against Goff. Um I think potentially it could be because Sabalenka hasn't always given herself that much margin previously. I think something that's really clicked for her this year and the back end of last year is she isn't kind of having to um, paint the lines. She's not always having to hit the cover of the ball. I think she's playing with a bit more topspin. 
Um, and I think she's playing um, with a bit more margin. So, you know, if she's if she's hitting big targets and she's playing well and she's putting pressure on that forehand, um, it can break down. Um, I don't think Goff played too badly. I think it was a case that um, Sabalenka sort of played to her strength and and really kind of um, sorry played to her weakness from from Goff and it really kind of broke down in that sense. And Sabalenka was playing well, so. Um, unfortunate, but I think we were all a bit surprised by the nature of that, and we weren't necessarily expecting a bagel in that one because Coco is such a good defender. Yeah, I thought it would be a bit closer. You know, it was quite up for that match. You know, they're both in the top ten, and you know, I guess you know you do often see very one-sided score lines, but it seemed a bit of a shame, especially Coco Goff being on kind of home turf as well. Um, and another player as well, perhaps a bit disappointing. You know, getting to the semi-finals, but just sort of seeming to, to lose with a bit of a, a lacklustre scoreline. Maria Sakkari um, doesn't surprise me that she got to a semi-final and lost. Um, looking at kind of stats, uh, Maria Sakkari, out of all WTA semi-finals and finals put together, she's won eight and lost 27 of them. Um, some great stats um, around that. If you're looking at all of the top 10 players, she by far has the, the worst record um, in finals and semi-finals. 22.8%, uh, well, 22.9%, I should say, um, of those semis and finals won. Um I think the next highest player is on 47% and Sfriontek is up the top with 75%. So quite vast differences. And I know we, we've said this many times before that she seems to get to semifinals and kind of combust a little bit or just she can't perform. It doesn't seem to have that extra extra level to, to get to. Hmm. Um, do you think that's... I feel like we've asked this question, you know, before as well, but do you think... That just or should we stop talking about her as as a major contender, given the fact that she, you know, she's not able to get over that next hurdle, it seems. Or am I being super harsh? <laughs> well, when you see it in black and white, I think it's very clear. I mean, this is a good, I mean, twenty five percent lower, pretty much than than anybody else when it comes to winning the bigger matches and tournaments, and. That is kind of um, the facts of the matter is that she can't win clutch matches. Um, and she does have a real tendency of kind of going going off the ball when it comes to it. It is mental. We know she has the game. If you're making that many semifinals, you know, she's she's obviously been in positions where she could kind of push forward a bit more. She's had many more semifinals than the likes of like Coco Goff, for example, even than Pagula. You know, she really has um, kind of pushed forward in, in many of these tournaments. And... Um, that is something that is is a problem. I think she should switch up her coaching situation. I think we probably do have to kind of stop predicting her to go that much beyond a semi final. Um, and I think it, it is a shame, but I do think you have to you have to look at the mental side of the sport and realize that you know it's not the physical side that's a problem. It's it's very much between the years. Um, but I've seen a lot of people who are like defending how how well she does and how good it is, but. I mean, I think a lot of players would rather have be picking up titles um, and then losing occasionally a little bit earlier and be a little bit less consistent if it meant that they were getting sort of the, the higher highs rather than kind of being sort of in, in the middle of the top 10, but never really posing that big threat. Yeah, it sort of gives me Tim Henman vibes as when I was growing a little up. Bit, yeah. He was always sort of getting semis of Wimbledon, but not ever, you know, doing much more than that. Um, I know that sounds a bit harsh, but... Um, 
Yeah, I think, like you said, she, I mean, she's an absolute, like, she's so physically strong. Um, it, it's all kind of, yeah, like you said, mental really, isn't it? And other factors, it's not uh, physicality, I, I would imagine. But um, yeah, that's it remains a bit of a conundrum, but we hope she will eventually uh, break it. Um, let's look at the, what happened on the ATP side of things out in Indian Wells now, because we had Carlos Alcaraz uh, winning the tournament, beating Daniel Medvedev in the final in straight sets, 6-3, 6-2. Um, Alcaraz, this is his third ATP Masters 1000 title. And with winning this, he now uh, returns to the world number one ranking. Uh, he's just pinched uh, the top spot from Novak Djokovic uh, by a couple of hundred points. There's not much in it, but um, he is, as of yesterday, back at number one in the rankings. Um, he won this title without dropping a set. Uh very dominant performance and he's now um the youngest man to have won both elements of the sunshine double so both indian wells and miami uh he won miami last year and has completed it with a uh, indian wells uh the year after um and he's also along with rafa can i just say uh well, they're the only um, players to have won at least three Masters uh, 1000 titles as a teenager. Um, so, yeah, Alcaraz continuing to, to make history and, and break records. What did you make of, of Alcaraz's performance in this final? And what made the difference, um, you know, over Daniel Medvedev? Uh, it's a fairly, you know, comfortable scoreline, wasn't it? It was indeed. Well, Kim, I'm I'm glad you've asked because I've actually I'm trying to redeem myself from last year, last week where I volunteered that I made a tally chart of the points in a tie break so whilst watching. <laughs> yeah, the Medvedev um, Zverev tie break. So that I want to move on from by offering something much better than a tally chart. Um, I was looking at what the difference might have been. And I think that the service aspect of things is actually where the big difference lies. So I remember when it came to the US Open final um, and the whole of the US Open, I mean, it was five set after five set after five set marathon. And he really was struggling to finish some of these points a bit quicker. Um, and I think the key area where there's been a lot of improvement is actually in the serve. So in the final, he did not face a break point. And I was actually comparing his performance across the entire tournament with his performance in the US Open final from last year. And in the whole of this tournament, he faced 11 break points and was broken just twice. And that's across six matches and 11 and a bit sets because obviously Jack Draper unfortunately had to retire. Whereas in last year's US Open final, he faced 10 break points and was broken three times. And it was definitely a case where he was being broken much more frequently uh, and wasn't consolidating behind his serve. So if you look at the scores across the week, I mean, he rarely played um, or was pushed into like a, a tiebreak situation, for example, coming through against Felix in straight sets. Um, he did play a tiebreak against Sinner, but there's much less, um, much less, I guess not much less competitive, but he was able to assert his dominance much more. Um, and another key thing is that in the US Open final, he had a 55% um, record on his second serve, but it was 70% um, in the final here. So I don't know how he's managed to do this despite being injured, but um, he's superhuman. <laughs> he's very much improved his serve, I believe, or his mentality when it comes to backing up that serve, because um, it's clear that he is winning many more service points as well as causing a big problem on return. 
Yeah, and also I think what's interesting is that both of these two, they didn't actually play each other last year. So they've only played once before, which was back in Wimbledon in 2021, which is, you know, in terms of Alcaraz's progression up the rankings, that's actually like, you know, quite a long time in sort of, um, you know, in terms of his improvement and his performance and, and where he is now compared to where he was then. So it's a yeah. kind of different Alcaraz really, isn't it? And I was surprised to see that he hadn't played you know since then that is a strange one because they've both been obviously very highly ranked and making you know the, the latter stages of tournaments but I guess Medvedev did have that wobble in the middle of last year where he didn't necessarily progress that far and obviously um he didn't have um much of a grass court season but I've just actually got some stats up from that match you mentioned in Wimbledon and um it was 32% of points won in his second serve and just 62 on his first serve. So it's clear that the, the serve is definitely maturing as he's kind of getting more physically strong, potentially. Um, and actually Medvedev was 7 of 15 break points in that match. And that was pretty straightforward, a 6-4, 6-1, 6-2. So it looks like, and scarily, he is getting better, which, I mean, that, that's a, that is a scary prospect, isn't it, Kim? He's already the world number one and he's, uh, yeah, still got a lot of improvement, but he's getting better and better. I mean, do you think Alcaraz is just going to stop like traditional next gen players from picking up, um, well, not just Grand Slams, but also these sorts of Masters titles? You know, we saw the likes of Yannick Sinner. Um, he got to the semi-finals, but, you know, lost in straight sets to, to Alcaraz. And, you know, Sinner, similar age group, you know, next gen sort of champion. Um, but, Alcaraz could just very well stop them all. I mean, he also beat Felix Auger-Aliassime en route to the title. If Alcaraz is there playing this well, you know, are the others really going to get a look in? I mean, they might only pick up one Masters title at best if, if you know, if, if Alcaraz is going to be, you know, super dominant. I, I'm, you know, this is potentially, yeah, just we're going to, are we going to go from one dominating force or three dominating forces to to a new era of a different, you know, person dominating. Who knows? Um, or am I just getting carried away with myself, Chris? Well, I don't think you're getting carried away because I do think that when you have a performance like this, obviously it can change on a week-by-week -week basis and the conditions being a bit slower, um, a bit more similar to maybe a clay court might have favoured him a little bit um, in terms of that. And we do know that obviously Medvedev um, does have this toxic relationship with the court surface there despite making the final. But when you look at the fact that even since he's made his comeback, you know, he, he obviously picked up a title in his return tournament, made a final, did, was a bit injured in that final. And then now he's hasn't even played a, um, a match on hardcourt before coming up and picking up another Masters title. So it is scary in terms of what he's able to do physically and, and how he's been able to get so quickly back to the top of the game and kind of reassert his position and kind of answer all questions about, you know, coming off that US Open win, if he can back it up, because clearly he can. And he, he's been producing the tennis that I would argue his level in Indian Wells was better than it was at the US Open. Yeah. Um, I think it really was. So when you say this, I think it's a case where Sinner can is great to watch, um, but he doesn't get it done against those top players, as you said. And I think we saw a stat this week that it was only three wins in 20 matches against top five players. And that's kind of the polar opposite for an Alcaraz. And you do think that someone like Alcaraz will sort of nip people like, um, well, I guess some of the mid-gen um, from getting some of, of those um, those titles. And I mean, if Djokovic is playing, if Alcaraz is playing, we'll have the dial back soon, hopefully. Um, I think the combination of, you know, the, the next next gen or whatever we're calling, he's very much the present <laughs> gen though, playing against the 
that that are the older guard. I mean, it's going to be slim pickings. You just said next gen, and then you said, or you said mid gen, and then next next gen, and now I'm I don't know what gen is what. <laughs> yes, I don't know what gen it is. I think we are Gen Y. <laughs> yeah, I get confused between generations. Are we millennials, X, Kim? Y, we Z. don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I am, and I do. I want to reveal my age to everyone. Mm, I'm not no. sure. Um, but yes, it was a fantastic week on the tour for Carlos Alcaraz. We'll see if he, you know, is going to make it. Um, two titles you know out of two at the sun he could do the complete sunshine double in one year couldn't he if he wins miami but we will um yeah it remains to be seen whether he will do that uh, but he'll take good form with him into miami um let's take a very quick break now uh, but we will be back in the second half where we'll be looking at um all of the action to come in miami as well as some other talking points from the tour so do not go anywhere This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to um, our little quiz segment uh, to kick off the second half. Um, Chris, you um, very kindly teased me with a mysterious player last week. um, And I've got one in return for you to have a crack at. I'm very excited. So you're in the the hot seat. I'm a bit worried though, Kim, (laughs) because I remember from the quiz last year that you do have the toughest questions so i'm a little bit apprehensive but the idea of taking on the first mysterious player i think is um it's quite an exciting prospect yeah well um i think uh yeah i haven't done a mysterious player for either you or joel for a long time so i'm not sure how hard i'm gonna make it but um i'm sure you'll you'll do a great job and there is a miami open link as well so i try to make it a little bit topical um so are you, are you ready to to get get cracking i am ready how many okay. questions do, how many prompts do i have though how many Ooh. are playing with uh well i can kind of keep going indefinitely but I th- <laughs> i'm confident that you will get it um okay after yeah a certain number um i don't uh-huh. think on the I'm podcast we've, i don't think we've ever gone beyond about seven prompts so. oh goodness don't say yeah. so i don't want to be here at 15 <laughs> okay right clue number one I was born on the 17th of May, 1991. Ooh, we do not know the gender of the player that I'm guessing. This is tricky. I, I'm going to say to keep it moving, I'll go for... What about Heather, Heather Watson, let's say? She, she likes playing in Miami. Mm. 
Heather Watson. Oh, she does, doesn't she? Um, yeah, well, I feel like I always start with the age of the player and no one ever gets it from like a birthday. So uh, yeah, that was probably a long shot. Um, no, it's not Heather Watson. So, uh, but not, not far off. They, um, she's a May birthday, I think. Um, maybe she's May 21st. She's definitely in May. <laughs> oh, that's... I'm scaring you, you know. here. <laughs> yeah, Andy Murray's got a May birthday. Maybe it's a, a British thing. Um, okay, clue number two. I reached a career high singles ranking of four in the world. Oh, number four in the world. Now that is a that is a tricky one because I guess you probably never won that. Oh, I guess maybe they won Miami. Um, I am gonna say I, the only person I know who peaked number four is Caroline Garcia to to head, and I know that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not Caroline Garcia, but I mean, she did. Yeah, her career high is is number four, but um, she's not a little bit correct younger. just yet. Um, she's a bit younger as well, I think. Yeah. Clue number three. I hold treble citizenship and used to represent a different country to the one I represent now or have represented more recently. Oh, that is quite an interesting one. This makes me think. The dates are quite surprising, though, because you think maybe, you know, when there was East and West Germany, maybe there's a few more people who jumped around a little bit because this is in 1991. I am going to say the only player that I can think of that's played for a couple of countries and has been ranked that highly. I'm going to say Joe Conter. Oh, Chris. Your position as as doing well on these uh, quizzes, uh, it remains almost perfect because, yes, it is Joe Conta. You've got it after oh, three clues. Goodness. Well done. I was trying to think, is it, what were the nationalities? Was it Hungary, Australia yeah. and the UK? Correct. Yeah, she has Hungarian, <sighs> Australian and British citizenship, uh, reached number four in the world. I was going to get on to the Miami link, which was that she won the Miami Open in 2017. Yeah, um, 2017. That was a great result yeah. against Caroline Wozniacki in that final, wasn't it? I, I was just about to ask you who she beat in the final and you've just answered it. So <laughs> um, I knew you'd know that. Um, I was thinking, oh, is Joe Conta too easy for you? I know your knowledge of WTA... And WJ British players is exceptional. So, um, but I no, thought that as was, it was great fun. You know, six years since she won um, the to- the title. Um, yeah, so well done, listeners. I hope you also managed to maybe get Joe Conta. Um, did you get it maybe before? Did Chris? you get it before me? Yes. Did you get it from a her few birthday? People, a few people, <laughs> Kim, might have um, got it on the last week's. Anyone who listened, where. We talked about Tommy Haas and that, that Federer match from Roland Garros. I think that's stuck in a few people's memories. Maybe as a Nadal fan, maybe you didn't pay attention that year as much because he'd been knocked out. But that was that was a tricky one as well. So let us know, listeners, if you got it before us. But I, when I was looking at Joe Conta um, on her Wikipedia page, it says that she's trying to build a house in the Ashdown Forest, uh, which have apparently uh, her plans to do that have proved controversial. So... I am um, not too sure Wikipedia. what's what's going on yet, but um, I think was that the yeah. next clue, Kim? <laughs> <laughs> she plans yeah. to build a house. <laughs> yeah, so that's something. Uh, environmental campaigners were up in arms. Um, she was trying to construct property uh, somewhere in the forest, but I'm not sure how she's uh, she's getting on with that. But uh, yeah, um, we're well, we're not really here to talk about her 
plans to build a house in the forest, are we? But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the answer is very much Joe Conter. So well done, Chris, and well done to our listeners who got it correct as well. Uh, we do have a, a tennis weekly mailbag as well. Um, we've got an email from Stephen Rankin. Uh, thanks so much for getting in, in touch. Uh, Stephen asks us, if Sabalenka and Rabakina were to hypothetically meet in all remaining Grand Slam finals this year, who would win each of the encounters? And he's asked the same question about Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. If they were to meet in the remaining Slam finals, what would the outcome be? So, yeah, that's, clearly that's an not interesting... a Nadal or an eager fan. <laughs> yeah, just just discounting uh, Rafa and eager from the conversation. Um, I can see it happening, though. I mean, maybe less so with Sabalenka and Rabakina, um, although they're very much, you know, on form at the moment. We haven't seen consistent, you know, Grand Slam finalists on the women's side for, you know, a whole year on the tour for for a long, long time. So not so sure this will actually happen, but it's fun to think about. Um, Chris, what what have you put for the Sabalenka-Rabakina question? Well, I did think this was a good question because it depends so much on on the court surface. So I found the toughest one to make a prediction for would probably be the, the Roland Garros one because neither player has had that much form there. I know that... Um, Rabakina has made a quarterfinal um, there before, but I don't think that Sabalenka's ever had any joy out there um, over in Paris. So um, I did go for Rabakina for Roland Garros and Wimbledon. Um, and then I went for Sabalenka for the US Open because she has made the semi final there consecutively from uh, since 2021. So that's two semi finals in a row. So I thought that that would probably be. Um, kind of the one where she would perform the best and Rebecca has not really shown much form there. So that's what I went for out of those two. What did you go for, Kim? I went for exactly the same, actually, but I was toying up as also with, with Roland Garros and I went for Rebecca uh, for Roland Garros. Just uh, not really any particular. It was just because I thought it would be very, very evenly matched and I thought um, Rebecca would maybe just have the edge um, on the clay. But again, it w- was very very fine margins and like you said neither of them has particularly got a great track record um you know at Roland Garros or, or on the clay per se so I thought I'll just uh seeing as Sabalenka's won the AO I'll, I'll even it out a bit <laughs> and go for that go so not very piece. scientific yeah <laughs> um but for the men um with Alcaraz and Djokovic I've gone again it was Roland Garros that I was debating over um because obviously you know Djokovic we know on his day, you know, remove Rafa from the equation, he'd be sort of a dead cert, really, for, for Roland Garros. And, you know, Alcaraz has, you know, not actually gone gone deep, deep at Roland Garros yet. Um, but I went for Alcaraz uh, just in terms of how well he's been playing and the fact that he's now won a Grand Slam might prove to have an edge if he meets Djokovic in a slam. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Wimbledon, I went for Djokovic because he is still very much the king of um, Wimbledon, I think. You know, apologies, Federer fans. Um, and then I went for Alcaraz for the US Open again as as defending champion. Um, I think I did exactly the same. I think I also went for, for the same there. The question I would say to you, so then who do you think right now 
um, is the world number one. Obviously, there's been injuries. They've missed Grand Slams. There's been um, kind of different points. We've had uh, Djokovic unable to play. Like, he obviously hasn't played the Sunshine double due to kind of um, not being vaccinated. But who, right now, based on what you've seen this year, is is the best tennis player in the world? What would you say? Oh, well, I... <laughs> Seen this year. Based on key. points, it's Alcaraz. Um, I think As I'm going to be a politician and avoid the question. No, um, it's shaping up for a very interesting clay court season because they want to see probably them play, both right? be playing on the tour at the same time because so far, you know, Alcaraz was out and then Djokovic has been out. Um, I guess Novak Djokovic, he's won the slam, you know, he yes. has that really super duper start to the year. And, you know, he's not even able to play at the moment. Hence, that was incredible, yeah. There. So uh, he's not, you know, he's not currently on the tour to, to gain points um, or to maintain them. So I suppose Djokovic, obviously, you know, he is <laughs> one of the um, big three, you know, arguably is going to be the greatest of all time, uh, statistically and all of that. So I suppose, yeah, I'd still give Djokovic the edge. <laughs> um, mm. Even if the points uh, say I really otherwise. did put you on the spot there, Kim, but I, I probably would be inclined to agree but I did not think at this point I'd be asking that question you no, know no no exactly I so soon very, after his comeback yeah you could ask me tomorrow and I might say something completely different or this time next week you know um, when Rafa wins the French you'll be like it's Rafa yeah <laughs> that would be fantastic that would be a dream um, touch wood <laughs> um, but thank you very much Stephen for the question uh, got us very much thinking uh, of you know potentially hypothetical situations or potentially non-hypothetical situations but yeah it's definitely got us thinking so thank you very much keep the questions coming um other news though chris on the tour i was looking through instagram earlier and i saw some announcements very exciting um Igor Sviontek has a new sponsor and it's roger federer uh, backed because um Roger Federer has, uh, he's a co sort of, uh, I think, founder or co entrepreneur of this Swiss shoe brand called On Running. And Eager has signed up to uh, become a, a global ambassador of, of the brand. Uh, ben Shelton has also been signed. So, um, quite exciting news. Uh, Sriantek being the first female tennis athlete to be a global ambassador of, of the brand. Um, she's put out a an Instagram post to say that she is thrilled to um to be part of the um the brand and and to grow develop and make an impact together uh you're very much a brand person Chris do you think this is a good move for for both Eager and and Federer's uh sort of company if you like I mean I think she's a great signing I think she's the opposite of kind con- uh, controversial you know I think She's someone who really can be a great ambassador for the brand. I think it's good to see that she is getting these sorts of deals because I think when you look at kind of the, um, I think there was a, a new highest paid sports people and sports women, sports men um, uh, list released today. And she's not necessarily the top on the tennis side of things. She is below sort of Raducanu, Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka. Obviously she is newer to the success. Um, but you do feel like she hasn't necessarily had that big impact sponsorship yet. So I think it is really good to see this because I think it's one where you do think there needs to be a little bit more of a connection between um, how you conduct yourself, your results, and then the sponsorships that you get. You know, And I think there hasn't always been, if you look at um, some of the some sponsorships previously, I will not be naming names, um, but I do think that it is good news. And I think also, I'm kind of thinking, is this also connected to Federer, staying very much connected to the sport? He has talked about developing 
um, sort of some of the, uh, the the players that will be signed there, not necessarily in any form of coaching capacity, but it is the idea that a lot of these um, sports clothing brands like Adidas has a team of coaches as well that were very big, especially um, I think Sven Gronovel was part of that team as well at one point. So I think it, it, it does make me think how involved is Federer going to be in some of the... Um, some of the other sort of um, development side of things and as a consultant for some of this stuff because you'd think he would be playing a bit of a role here and maybe it's a sign he's going to stay close to the tour. Yeah, I think it's a great signing, great, great partnership. Um, they seem to refer to it as, as on, as they call it on, as on running is the full name, but they're, they're calling it on. On tennis? Um, <laughs> yeah, but what what I'm just thinking, why hasn't he signed on Jabor? Um, wouldn't that be very in keeping with the, the oh, brand name? Oh, that would name? be brilliant, Kim. <laughs> that but, would uh, be amazing. <laughs> uh, but Sriante got there first, but uh, yeah, yeah, good news. And then actually, you mentioned Raducanu and also sponsorship, which brings us nicely onto the announcement of the Billie Jean King Cup qualifier uh, playing uh, squads for, for the upcoming ties in April. Um, and the news here is that Emma Raducanu is not um, going to be playing at the uh, GB versus France tie. Um, she's sort of, well, she's indicated that it's due to soreness of the wrist, but um actually the following week after this she's due to i think play in stuttgart uh which is sponsored by porsche which is one of the companies she she endorses um so i think a lot of people are sort of speculating well you know thinking she's she's it's you know it's a, a, a comfortable excuse to not play the fed cup or the billy jinking cup and, and instead go to a tournament where she's got sponsorship um obligations um what do you make of of that um, news, and uh, I mean, what, tell us more about the, the British team as a whole because she's not the only player that we might have expected to have, have seen there, isn't she? Yeah, it's um, it is a, a bit of a, a bit of a shame, obviously. But um, the positive news for British fans is that the team that did so well in Glasgow last year are returning in their full capacity. So it's the same players. Um, that are playing. So I think that's something really great. So that's Harriet Dart will be leading the team. Um, and it's also um, players that perform really well. Like Heather Watson will be there. Um, Katie Bolter is also playing. And then we have um, the returning doubles pair as well um, uh, of Alicia Barnett and Olivia Nichols. So that's something that is really nice. They did bond really well and they did have a great... Um, great result and great team spirit there and I think that's that is really nice I do think that we have to ask the question here um as to whether this is controversial she she has prioritized sort of the the Stuttgart Grand Prix before but because of the Porsche connection you imagine and the ranking points that are, that are on the line there and it isn't ideal necessarily um kind of going from from hard back to hard courts back to clay um I understand injury prevention and it can be tricky if you're playing, you know, three matches in two days, if you're playing doubles, but unlikely that Emma would be picked for the doubles anyway. So it's probably a case to make herself available for this is what it seems to be reading between the lines. That does mean we're without a top 100 player. And the slightly odd thing is that we are only, uh, we only have one of our top four ranked singles players in the form of Harrod Dark, because Jodie Burridge and Katie Swan um, are not playing. So I think it is a little bit... Um, unfortunate that we don't get to see like a full strength British team I think we all want to see 
and the best players playing the best players in this. And it would be so good to see Raducanu versus um, Garcia. And so we should say that Garcia will be playing in the tie that will be in Coventry um, on the 14th and 15th of April. Um, yeah, but I think if, if I have to say if this is surprising or not, I think she has missed quite a lot of team events. Um, it's not surprising. And I think probably if you're Raducanu with some momentum, prioritizing your career when you haven't necessarily had um, the results you would have wanted to over the last couple of years does make sense. Um, it just might not be a popular decision. Yeah, and I think a lot has been said about all her sponsorships and all of that. So people are quite quick to think, oh, she's prioritising that over everything else. But like you said, it, it'll be a loss of tennis. It'd been going back onto a hard court, you know, in the middle of clay season. So um, she has her reasons, um, as does Anne Kjothfong for picking, you know, a team that doesn't necessarily include our top ranked singles players. Um, but regardless, I think it's going to be a fantastic event. Uh, it's at the CBS Arena in Coventry. Um, I was looking at tickets earlier. There's some really affordable tickets starting from about 10 quid. Um, so if anyone fancies going to see some uh, live tennis, um, you know, I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic event. And, you know, world-class player in the form of Caroline Garcia attending as well. I wonder what she'll make of Coventry. Um, I think I went to Coventry a few times last year and I thought it was, yeah, loads to see there. You know the. I've been to a TGI's there, Kim. A TGI's. Well, there's a lot more than a TGI's. 2008. I've been to a TGI Fridays. Yes. Lots of heritage. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. It'd be great. Harry Styles is also at that arena in May. Um, so when you go on to get the tickets, it says Billie Jean King Cup April. Harry Styles in May. And I'm sure the tickets will be a lot more expensive to see him. Wow. So um, maybe Kim. We go to the tennis and we just stick around for Harry Styles in May. <laughs> just just stay in Coventry for a month till he rocks Casual up. Month. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be um, getting in a bit of the Billie Jean King Cup action. Um, but before that, we do have a lot more tennis elsewhere, of course. And we've got Miami uh kicking off as we speak really uh the draws are out um some interesting first round matches uh on the women's side carrying on the Radicani chat she is being drawn against Bianca Andreescu which is um a cracking <sighs> match up uh I know you're a big very fan much of, torn about that one Bianca <laughs> what are you what are you predicting for that tie Chris I thought Bianca played some excellent tennis against Eager but then having seen Rebecca kind of do what she did um against Eager in that semi-final I I've gone for Raducanu I have I just think something's clicked in for Raducanu and I think the courts in Miami will actually favor her a little bit more potentially so really hoping that she can build on the success of last week yeah excellent and I've also saw Sloane Stevens uh, was up against Shelby Rogers in the first round so another one of your favorites got kind of a tough opener I need some better draws don't I Kim I need (laughs) a good night's sleep yeah, we could also have a, a potentially very awkward and uncomfortable uh, encounter between Marta Kostic and uh, po- Anastasia Potapova if, if that matchup happens. Could be a lot of tension um, in that one. And I just hope that Potapova doesn't come onto court wearing anything, uh, you know, that she shouldn't be. Um, yes. That could be, uh, yeah, not a pleasant situation. Um, some 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 interesting matchups. Pagula against Collins could be quite early on. Uh, Kvitova, Donna Vekic. Donna Vekic was in quite good form, having won a title recently. Um, so yeah, lots of obviously <laughs> it's a stacked draw as usual on the men's side. Um, some interesting uh, sort of early rounds. Dominic Team against Lorenzo Sonigo. Um Team on you know here with a wild card. 
continuing to not really make too many inroads on the tour since he came back. Um, I don't know if he can do anything this time round, but, um, you know, Team Sonigo, yeah, I think that one is one that kind of caught my eye in the draw. Um, and I know you've earmarked Gail Monfie against Hugo Humbert. And I wondered if that was because, it, is it a battle for the French number one, Chris? Or Well, or, that's or actually not? an interesting question because the provisional ranking that Gail is, is there on might mean that he might be on the entry list as the highest French entrant um, because of the provisional ranking. But uh, it's actually Gasquet. Gasquet's at, at number one at ranked 14 and the live rankings at 39. But Humbert did get that win last week against um, a rather frustrated... Um, Denis Shapovalov. So I do think that um, we'll be seeing him go up the rankings again very quickly. Well, it's good to know Gasquet is still French number one. I was I haven't had my weekly fix of French number one uh, <laughs> antics. Our regular segment. <laughs> um, let's make some tentative predictions, though, shall we? Uh, as we're at the start of of Miami. Um, We've got quarters and semis, finals and champions. Um, Joel Joel has sent in his prediction, so we can very much uh, sort of have a go at them if, if we think they're no good, <laughs> or we can commend him. <laughs> um, but let's let's look at the predictions for the men's side. Um, we'll kind of go through the draw, shall we? And, and we'll just say our uh, our matchup. So, Chris, who have you got for the first quarter? For the men, I have Alcaraz versus Holger Runa. Oh, you're always going for Runa, aren't you? You're not put off uh, he's, from your recent. He's my uh, fr- the Fritz, the Fritz of Joel. I think that's <laughs> we always we always seem to stand those two. Yeah, Joel's gone for Alcaraz and Fritz. I've gone for Alcaraz and Fritz as well. Uh, so we'll see. You two on do that make one. similar predictions, <laughs> I have to say. The next one, though, our second quarter. I think we've all gone the same. Um, I've got Zverev against Sinner. Yes, I've done the same. Yeah, so has Joel. So we're in agreement on that one. Our third quarter, um, I've got Herkaj and Medvedev. What about yourself? I believe that Joel and I have both gone for Nori and Medvedev Ooh. for that one. So a slight difference on that one. Yeah, I went for Herkaj because he's a former Miami champion. So I thought maybe he's he playing would, pretty um, well at the moment. I can see that. Yeah, I thought maybe he likes the courts here. Um, our fourth quarter. Joel, I'll, I'll go for Joel's first. He's got TFO against Sitsapas. Uh, I've gone for TFO mm-hmm. against Hatchinov and Chris. Also TFO Sitsapas on this mm. side, yes. Yeah, I, I sort of just wasn't convinced by Sitsapas. Um, I'm sure he'll prove me wrong and do super well. Um, so <laughs> Don't I've say got, it, it won't happen. <laughs> I've got a semi-final lineup in my predictions of Alcaraz against Sinner, which is a repeat of uh, Indian Wells. And I've got Medvedev against Hatchinov uh, in my other semi-final. I have Alcaraz Senna also, and I've got an exact replica with Medvedev and TFO. Nice. I think Joel's gone for Alcaraz Zverev, Medvedev and TFO. So he's thinking Zverev's going to get muchness, the better of Sinner. We are very much for muchness. Joel's got a final of Zverev against Medvedev. Oh, that's, so he thinks that's not that's not that no, that's where he differs. Is, is Zverev going to beat Alcaraz? Joel seems to no. think so. In what world, Joel? <laughs> uh, it's the woo woos. The woo woos have got it's to his wo- head. Yeah, when did he make these predictions? Yeah, yes. after about five years. We'll have to woo-woos. ask him. Uh he's got Medvedev winning as a result of that final. Um what have you got in your, your final then, Chris? Well, I've gone for the Sunshine Double, so I've got for uh, Alcaraz taking out Medvedev so I think he will do it not just the double in uh, consecutive years getting one each year I think he's going to do the actual sunshine double 
the actual double. Yeah, I've gone the same. I've gone Alcaraz Medvedev final, Alcaraz with a repeat victory. Um, so oh, I feel ooh. good about this, Kim. You've been pretty <laughs> good with the predictions so far. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm quite confident with that, um, she says now. Well, let's look at the women. Maybe I'm less confident with the women, maybe. Um, let's look at we've got what we've got in our quarter lineups. Um, quarterfinal one, this is where the, well, potentially, I think this is very, well, they're all interesting quarters, but we could very well be on for a Svantec rebakina rematch in the quarterfinal. And that's my quarterfinal lineup. I know Joel's got that as well. Have you gone for the same I also have gone for the same. I wasn't yeah. necessarily sure I was going to go for it, but then I thought, you know what? I'd love to see it again and see if Iga can just come out with some very different energy, you know? Yeah, I would love to see it. And I, you know, if Re- Rebecca manages to beat her for a third time on the trot as well, that would also be interesting. You know, or will Iga get, you know, finally manage to reverse the trend? Um, second quarterfinal, who have you got in that one, Chris? I went for jpeg and coco goff and actually i i think joel went for the same of pagula and goff jpeg <laughs> um yeah i went for jpeg as well um but i've gone for ludmilla samsonova you'd um, love a samsonova <laughs> moment you really well, do your wimbledon pick no oh yeah i did predict her to win one wimbledon one year <laughs> well, she did do well on the grass she yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah she would she would have won it last year if she she could have yeah, played exactly. it exactly <laughs> um my third quarterfinal, I've gone for Maria Sakkari and Petra Kvitova. Uh, Joel, I see, has gone for Belinda Bencic and Petra Kvitova. And Chris, I th- are, you, are you? I've gone for Emma Raducanu. Emma Raducanu. Emma Raducanu and Donna Vekic. Oh wow! Now that is that is quite rogue, but it's bold. It is bold. I'll I give think you that. given given Raducanu's you know good form I, in India, I loved Wales. watching her last yeah. week. So I really hope that she does something here. No, absolutely. Um, fourth quarter final, I've gone for Carolina Mukova. Um, I know we mentioned her earlier, how we were hoping she would continue her good form from Indian Wells. I've gone for Mukova against Sabalenka in the fourth uh, quarter final. Um, and Joel has gone for Kudometova against Sabalenka. He's, he is partial to Kudometova, that's, like that's for sure. Yeah. What about he yourself, does. Chris? I've gone for Mukova, and I've, I thought Kujikova is actually going to get and the. Uh, the revenge on her, her loss from um, this week and she, I think she's going to take out Sabalenko. Oh, well, you lot, you're partial to a bit of a critique of her prediction, I think. Um, I, I do like a critique at the moment, that's true. <laughs> um, we just say the same things every time doing these predictions. I'm starting to think with our favourites. Are we biased? <laughs> yeah, we just like always picking our favourite players. Um, but we're, I mean, we're I not always picked wrong. Garcia. No, I'm not picking yes, like, my favourites exactly. necessarily. Um, so semi-final lineup: Joel has gone for Rabakina against Pagula and then Kvitova against Sabalenka. Um from that, he's gone for a Rabakina Sabalenka final again, with Rabakina winning again. Uh, so he's mm-hmm. very much uh, repeating Indian Wells a little bit. Um, who have you gone for, Chris, for your semis? Well, I guess Joel did go a little bit rogue in the final with Zverev, but um, mm. I've gone for uh, Rabakina Pagula, Radakanu Kujikova, and then I've gone for Rabakina Kujikova the final with a Rabakina win. Oh, so you've got Radakanu getting to the semis as well. Amazing. Oh, last time I had Sloan get into the semis. You've always got to go oh, rogue once, Kim. That's my that theory with true. predictions. Got to go bold, yeah. Bold, go bold or go You've home. You've got your Samson ever? Yeah, to be fair, I've got Samson ever in my semis. semis. <laughs> she is. Oh, there we oh, go. Yes. Watch this space. Rebakina against Samson ever and then Kvitova Sabalenka. Um, I've also got a Rebakina Sabalenka final, but I've gone for Sabalenka to win. Put brackets, revenge uh, on my predictions. <laughs> <laughs> so. She's fired up. 
yeah um but yeah we'll, we'll see how they all pan out um and listeners i'm sure um you can laugh at us very much when halfway through the week we do a catch up and we lament those predictions um they'll be put up on our social channels i believe um and we will be back next week to do a sort of mid uh, miami catch up um but listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the tennis weekly podcast Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. And you can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. Or check out our website at tennisweekly.co.uk. And we'll be back next week at Tennis Weekly HQ for another episode. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 